The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Lauren Rublin, Senior Managing Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us on the 23rd day of what is turning out to be a pretty good year for the stock market, at least so far. My guests today are Barron's Deputy Editor, Ben Levison, and Dr. Ed Yardeni, an economist and founder of Yardeni Research. Ben and I have followed Ed's work for years, and there is a ton of it. He and his team put together a daily briefing on markets and economics and a daily reading list, and they more recently launched Quick Takes, which is shorter pieces on market-moving developments, at YardeniQuickTakes.com. Welcome, Ben. Welcome, Ed. And thank you thank both you. for taking the time to join me today. Thanks, Lauren. Thank you very much, Lauren. So, Ed, let's kick things off with your economic outlook. I follow your work, as I mentioned. I spoke to you last week, and I believe I have found the most optimistic person in America. <laughs> so tell me why you're in the soft landing camp or maybe even the no landing camp. Yeah, I think there's, um, I think there's three alternative scenarios uh, for, for this year. Uh, there's um, the uh, hard landing, which uh, seems to be pretty much the consensus view. Uh, some very smart uh, people are, have been very vocal about it. Uh, Jamie Dimon, uh, the CEO of uh, JP Morgan, has expressed the opinion that uh, consumers are going to run out of excess saving uh, by the middle of the year and that uh, they'll retrench in the second half of the year. Uh, then there's the soft landing scenario, um, uh, which uh, is a scenario I'm uh, been been, been uh, pushing uh, or writing about. And what uh, I've been saying is, we may be uh, already in a recession. Just let's call it a rolling recession. I mean, housing is certainly in a recession, but even there, it's really kind of rolling through the single-family housing market, not the multifamily. Uh, retailers have uh, got stuck with a lot of inventories. Uh, during the holiday seasons. That's a very kind of recessionary kind of development, but uh, they liquidated them by cutting prices, which has helped to bring inflation down. And then there's the no landing scenario, which is what uh, we've uh, had in 2022. There's a lot of talk about a recession uh, last year. People thought we were in a recession in the first half of last year, but the economy looks like it grew by about 3% in the second half of last year. So there was no landing. Um, and the consumers continue to, to spend, notwithstanding uh, concerns about uh, inflation and interest rates and so on. So what do you make of Jamie Dimon's view that the consumer is going to run out of money? Well, it's, uh, it's not just excess savings that uh, drives consumers. Uh, the labor market's always been the key, and the labor market's very tight. Wages are going up, I think, uh, faster than prices, uh, finally. Uh, they were going up a lot last year, but they they uh, were offset by, by price increases. I think this year we're going to see that the wages increase faster than prices. I think part of that is a lot of it's going to be productivity is going to make a comeback. I know that's hard to believe, but the pandemic really kind of uh, upset everything. And I, I think we're kind of trying to stabilize and getting back to some sort of uh, normal 
I think we're actually going back to the uh, the old normal prior to uh, what we've had for the past 10 years or so. Remind us what that looked like, because some of us might have forgotten. Well, uh, in the old days, uh, way back <laughs> before the 2008-2009 great financial crisis, uh, we had uh, reasonably good growth in the economy, uh, two and a half, three percent uh, uh, back then. Three uh, percent actually was more the norm, and inflation was running uh, not at uh, zero to two percent, but more like three uh, percent or so. And the interest rates uh, were were uh, not abnormally low; they were uh, around three to four percent. They weren't zero. Uh, I really hope we're going back. I'm sort of nostalgic here. I hope Hope we're getting going back to an, a time when interest rates uh, could stay well above zero, and, uh, and the economy can grow uh, with with some inflation. And I think that's what we're going back to. Um, so, and you know, one of the things I was wondering is just how do you square your optimistic view with things like uh, the leading indicators that came out yeah. today, dropped one percent for a yep. third month in a row? Um, how, how does it all square? Well, it it, it it doesn't all square. I mean, you know. Uh, in the forecasting business, uh, there, there's always uh, so, some indicators that support your story and some that don't. Uh, every now and then when an indicator comes out uh, and it doesn't support my story, I warn everybody that it's probably going to be, it's, it's either wrong or it's going to be revised to show that I was right after all. But I'm, I'm not going to say that about the leading indicators. I think the leading indicators is an, an important uh indicator and it's certainly pointing towards uh, an imminent recession it tends to lead uh, recessions by about 12 months on average uh, at least that's the average of the last eight recessions and uh, it peaked in february of last year so if, uh, if 12 month is the average we should be in a recession now or almost in one uh, again I, my argument is we've been in a recession it's just a rolling recession it's not hitting everything everything all at one time one of the 10 components of the leading economic indicators is an indicator for credit conditions, and it's still fairly moderate. Um, and that's really the, the heart of my, the difference I have uh, between a soft and a hard landing. I think what's really different this time, and I realize that uh, can be a jinx and uh, a contrary indicator when somebody says that, especially a forecaster. But what I do think is different this time is the credit system is in a lot better shape uh, than it uh, was in, uh, in going into previous recessions. Mm -hmm. So we're not getting a credit crunch uh, so far, and I don't think we're going to get a credit crunch. It's credit crunches that cause recessions. That's what inverted yield curves in the past anticipated, that if the Fed keeps going here, raising interest rates, some there'll be a financial crisis that'll turn into a, a contagion, a credit uh, crunch, and uh, that's what caused recessions. I don't see the credit crunch. So what do you think is the thing we ought to pay most attention to if we're looking for some sort of a harder landing? If we're looking what, for what? Uh, some sort of a harder landing. What would be the oh, big oh, surprise? Oh. Well, I mean, uh, it's uh, it's always been associated with uh, uh, a deteriorating labor market. And uh, certainly we're getting layoffs in the tech industry, but those layoffs uh, were really just uh, trimming back uh, excess hiring during the pandemic. Uh, when they thought that uh, you know business was going to continue to boom, uh, they they just uh, overreacted to to the good times that they were enjoying during the pandemic by hiring too many people, and now they're cutting them back. But tech is a relatively small sector of the labor market, 
Uh, and there's uh, certainly labor shortages and uh, lots of job openings. So I would look uh, for a real deterioration of labor market as an indicator of, uh, you know, a, a sure hard landing. Uh, there's a lot of manufacturing related indicators that are recessionary right now. Uh, but I think we all know that there's been a big pivot by consumers away from goods because they, they bought lots in 2020 and 2021. So they pivoted to services. And so the services economy uh, is strong and uh, offsetting the weakness in the goods economy. How does the rest of the world look to you looking at Europe and at China? It looks better. Um, you know, a couple of months ago, uh, during this, the summer of last year, for sure, uh, uh, I wasn't, I mean, I was in the consensus with everybody else uh, being very concerned that uh, as we approach the winter months that, uh, uh, you know, there'd be blackouts and uh, power issues uh, in uh, in Europe that would cause a very severe re recession and a lot of suffering with people uh, being, uh, you know, not being able to keep themselves warm in the winter. Uh, turned out to be uh, t totally wrong. Uh, markets, once again, uh, have worked. Uh, we saw natural gas prices absolutely soar, and the initial knee-jerk reaction to that was, this just shows the, the, how much there's a shortage of natural gas and, and uh, other fuels uh, in Europe, and that that would set them up for a terrible recession. And instead, uh, we saw the, old, the age-old adage that the best cure for high commodity prices is high commodity prices. Uh, they lead to more supply and less demand. And that's exactly what happened with natural gas. And suddenly we found that uh, the, the markets worked. They, they, they brought uh, natural gas from all over the world uh, uh, to, to replace Russian uh, natural gas for, for Europe. So Europe's looking better. The stock market's obviously reflecting that. It's had a big, big move to the upside in recent uh, weeks. And China... Um, surprised everybody by uh, having President Xi change his mind, uh, maybe as a result of the widespread protests, and say that uh, they weren't going to go for zero COVID anymore, and they were going to let people just uh, deal with it uh, as they please. Uh, I think that's creating a, a terrible wave of uh, inf infection and disease over there, but uh, these things do run in waves, and there's already uh, some e evidence that uh, the wave is about is peaking and the Chinese economy should be doing uh, reasonably well. It was an extraordinary turnabout. For yeah, sure. extraordinary, indeed. So let's now take some time to look at this week's earnings news. And we're going to hear from some big companies and some important ones like Microsoft and Tesla. I want to ask Ben, you recommended Microsoft on this past weekend's Barron's Round TV, Roundtable TV show. What do you think the company will report this week? And tell us about Microsoft stock and its huge investment in chat GPT while you're at it. Sure. Uh, so, you know, Microsoft, uh, it's an interesting one. Um, you know, the NASDAQ is up more than 8% this year. And the, the Microsoft itself is up a little more than 1%. And that's that's kind of surprising. You normally don't see it, which implies that the expectations are very low heading into earnings. Um, you have... Uh, um, uh, 
the stock uh, is expected to report uh, a profit of $2.32, which is actually down from $2.48 uh, the year before. Um, and there's actually expected to be a lot more, you know, the continued pressures on their top line that the company has been uh, experiencing, particularly in its gaming business. But the good news is that it, it's doing what it can to control costs. Um, that means it's laying people off and it's also um, should get a boost from the weaker dollar. Um, all this attention, though, is on things like uh, OpenAI and ChatGPT and uh, what that's going to mean for the company. And really, the excitement there is just what these, uh, what the service can do for um, you know the enterprise software that's out there and making things more efficient, making uh, or the writing of uh, solving problems uh, easier. Um, but that's not going to be a huge deal uh, for this number. I think what uh, with the stock, what you want to watch is uh, really it's 200 week moving average. It's been sitting there. It's about $20 below where the stock is trading now um, at around 224, 225. Stock's at about 241 right now. Um, if that holds, which it has been, um, you know, every time Microsoft comes down and hits that level, um, it's been holding pretty well um, at, at that 200 day. And if it holds, I think that's good news for the stock. But really, with the focus um, right now, all these stocks have been rallying. Microsoft really has been sitting it out um, for this year. Um, if the numbers are good enough, the stock should be able to do uh, nicely. You know, speaking of those stocks rallying, it reminds me that I forgot to ask Ed, where do you think the market is heading this year? We're off to a nice rally. Where do we go? Well, um, I, I think we made a low uh, in the bear market of last year at, on October 12th. Uh, and so I think the bear market's over and it uh, doesn't come with a money back guarantee. Uh, <laughs> Sadly. But, uh, but, but, you know, sentiment... Uh, was horrible. Uh, even when we made the low on June 16th at 3,666, uh, and then we took out that low in October, uh, but not that, not not much to the downside. And so I think, for all practical purposes, the the June 16th low held. And so I think we're we're in a bull market, but I don't think it's a straight up bull market. I. You know, I mean, valuation multiples aren't exactly dirt cheap. Uh, we still have some issues with earnings weakness in the in the next uh, couple of quarters, uh, and so I think it's going to be a stock pickers market where investors uh, will have to do their homework. And uh, uh, like Ben, uh, as Ben just did on uh, Microsoft, uh, you have to really understand the companies you're investing in. I think momentum investing, uh, the way. We, we everybody seemed to play the game uh, uh, prior to the bear market is uh, is over for a while. It was fun while it lasted. So let's pick up with earnings again, and I'll remind people we're taking questions at the end of the call. So please type in your questions now. It's a big week for industrial companies. General Electric reports on Tuesday. Boeing reports on Wednesday. G just spun off most of its healthcare unit. So Ben, what's left, and how is the company doing? Oh, well, this is going to be a complicated uh, earnings report. They're reporting with healthcare uh, as if healthcare is still part of the company. As um, it was in the fourth quarter. Right. So it'll be $1.16 is expected, and that'll be up from $0.92 cents, um, a share. Though the real focus will be on free cash flow, as it almost always is. Um, but then it's going to get complicated. They they have spun off uh, healthcare, and they're planning to spin off renewables by uh, early next year um, in their, their renewable business in early 
early next year, which would leave really just that's the power business. Um, and it would really just leave um, the, the, the aerospace business that it has now um, as uh, it's, it's its strongest uh, unit that it has. Um, and it's really, you know, it's, it's some of the parts story at this point. I think the thing that worries me most about the company right now is just how well it's done. It's gained 37 percent over the past three months. It's outperformed most industrial companies. Um, and I think that does set a pretty high bar going into uh, into the release. Um, but I, I, I do think that with so much attention now on this breakup um, and with the healthcare part of it out of the way and having gone, I think, as well as the company could have hoped, um, that that's going to remain the focus going forward and could help uh, keep pushing the stock higher. So speaking of aerospace, Boeing is really the stock market's comeback kid. The shares are up 46% in the past three months. What happened to Boeing when we weren't looking? So tell me what's going right with Boeing these days. The company reports on Wednesday. Yeah, there's a lot going right. I mean, uh, air travel is back in a big way. People are buying its planes. There's some curious things going on in there too. Like they had they had built planes that hadn't been shipped and now these built planes are being shipped and that's helping free cash flow. Um, they're also getting a boost from the uh, really the end of these supply chain disruptions. I mean, they're pretty much over at this point and that's helped as well. Um, and, you know, so there's been a lot of just good feelings about the, the stock, especially after, I mean, you can just look at the numbers and see last year in this quarter, the company lost $7.69 a share, um, which is just a, a huge number. And they're actually supposed to have a profit of 23 cents a share. So these, these problems that it had, some of its own um, creation, some because of just what was going on in the world with the supply chains and whatnot, um, really created problems that are now starting to get resolved and the market's starting to price for that. Um, so again, the, the biggest fear I think for this stock though, is that it's outperformed a lot. I think the, the people are looking for some good numbers and you know that could set up for some short-term volatility. All right, good. So Boeing gets the cheers, but Tesla gets the jeers, and I might add the tears. The stock <laughs> is down almost 40% in the past three months. Tesla also is reporting on Wednesday. What do you think the numbers will look like? Um, they're going to be interesting. <laughs> I, will, I will say that. You know, they're expected to report a profit of uh, $1.12. That'll be you know less than half of uh, the previous year's um, $2.54. Sales will be around $24 billion, which is amazing. And they're, they're selling a ton of cars. Um, the, the big thing people are going to want to know, though, is really what's happening to, to profit margins. Uh, the company has, has uh, you know, it's got, got a ton of attention. They've been cutting prices in a pretty big way. So uh, the average selling price um, is expected to fall 9% in um, 2023. And that's really going to put pressure on uh, margins. It's going to put uh, pressure on the company's growth rate. It was targeting 50% growth, um, but uh, that very well could be a lot lower. Um, and it, it'll be interesting to see how the market responds, though. I mean, we, we saw the stock bounce recently because now that these price cuts are, are coming through, we're seeing how much pressure it's putting on um, automakers across the, the industry, even ones that don't make electric vehicles. Um, and so they might be sacrificing profit margins to um, get more share. Um, but they're also so it's going to be just interesting to watch how this plays out and what they have to say about um, how the margins are holding up uh, in the face of all those price cuts. A lot of interest in Tesla. Ed, do you have any thoughts about Tesla? 
Um, I, one of these days, I'm going to go and drive one and see if, see if I want to own it. But uh, I didn't mean the car. I meant the stock. <laughs> uh, I'm really not an expert on uh, Tesla stock, so I'll, I'll go with 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 Ben's guidance. Well, okay. Which is which is of course Al Root's guidance because Al's our resident expert uh, on this stock. <laughs> right. But I think I think it's a tough one. It really is. I mean, the the whole uh, EV space, uh, you know, ha has raised the question: Are are are, are the EVs uh, high tech or are they just autos? Uh, just you know, a, a new a new version of automobiles, and you know, they should have a low, a relatively low multiple, and uh, there's nothing that exciting about them, but um, it's controversial. It certainly is. So let's move on to American Express, which reports on Friday. The company is sometimes seen as a bellwether for upper income consumers. And Ben, I'm wondering what Amex earnings will show. Well, people are hoping that they don't look like Discover's. Um, Discover reported last week uh, they had higher net charge-offs than expected, um, and that really hit uh, stocks, not only Discover stock, but it hit uh, things like Synchrony Financial, Capital One, uh, all these uh, credit card uh, companies that really cater to, um, uh, to the not wealthy consumer. Um, American Express um, is, you know, has that uh, higher net worth shopper, and the, the hope is that they will be holding up better, even as they are using their cards more. Um, the stock has gained 8.3% over the last three months. Um, so it's doing okay, but it's not, uh, you know, that fantastic compared to the overall market. Um, it's still actually cl much closer to its 52-week low than to its 52-week high. Um, and so, you know, there's room there that if it can have some good news, I think the stock can do well. It's expecting a profit of 224 um, a share versus uh, 218 last year on sales of about 14 billion close to a 52-week low sounds like opportunity to me so if they deliver the numbers and i wanted to get your views on earnings overall what kind of year do you think it will be for corporate america what's your s p earnings forecast well um i guess in, in line with uh, my overall optimistic outlook for this year uh earnings uh, i think will be 225 dollars a share uh, for the S&P 500, and uh, I've uh, seen that compared to uh, other strategists on the street, uh, that's probably the the highest number. Um, I've I've seen 220 uh, among a, a couple, uh, but there seems to be a lot around 200 or even less than than that. Ben, is that uh, your sense? Yeah, no, that's that sounds about right. Um, there's uh, yeah. a lot of concern about. Um, no margins getting squeezed, sure. uh, falling inflation, causing sales to, or, or to less inflation, uh, you know, being a detriment to sales, but companies, you know, also having less ability to keep their pricing power, that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I think the biggest concern uh, differential between the highs and the lows of that spread is uh, position on the soft versus hard landing. If we have a hard landing, then uh, 200 is too optimistic and uh, earnings will be lower. The valuation multiple will continue to drop and the bear market ain't over um, and uh, may not be over until the middle of the year, according to uh, the, the bears. Uh, whereas, uh, in my perspective, uh, the bear market ended October 12th and uh, earnings uh, will be more likely flat than uh, go sort of into a hard landing death dive 
uh, which is uh, what some people are concerned about. Mm -hmm. All right, two quick questions on on um, the commodities market and precious metals. Then we'll get into some listener questions. Gold has had a nice little rally lately. What do you make of that? Uh, you're asking me or Ben? I'm asking you. Oh, yeah. Um, well, you know, I, I think some of it might actually be uh, uh, people who have been uh, disappointed with uh, the cryptocurrency marketplace. You know, the cryptocurrencies, I think, especially among young younger investors, probably attracted a lot of uh, money uh, as uh, for those who might have viewed it as uh, a more exciting place to uh, to invest in gold uh, in the sense that uh, it was sold as a as a hedge against inflation, as a kind of a a, a way to, to to store uh, value. Well, a lot of that turned out to be wrong. Uh, it's not to say that it can't go uh, up again, which it has actually so far this year. But uh, I think uh, some money has been drawn away uh, away from cryptocurrencies, and uh, it may be attracted to uh, to gold. Uh, it is sort of odd to see gold doing well here when inflation has been coming down. So there may be some skepticism about whether we're going to be able to keep inflation down. Uh, but uh, there is an inverse relationship between gold and the uh, the tips yield. And I don't know that that's particularly bullish for gold here. I, I'm, I'm, I personally am kind of uh, neutral on gold. Um, I, I think gold also, by the way, is a commodity. And I, I think uh, if, if it's signaling anything, it's that the global economy is improving and copper prices, oil prices may go up some. So I think it, I, I would kind of, I, I kind of view it more as an indicator of the, the trend for commodity prices. And right now it's pointing to the upside, which is consistent with my view that the global economy is doing okay. And but that I'd was going to be my next. It, I'd rather next, play it in other commodities, but go ahead. Yeah, no, my next question was, are you bullish on commodities? I would think so based on. On your economic forecast. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I am, and um, I, I think everybody's trying to figure out uh, uh, what China is going to look like coming out of the uh, lunar uh, new year. Uh, by the way, happy new year! You're the rabbit uh, uh, in, in in China, and so they've got the the the, the vacation uh, that lasts, uh, you know, where they where they go get together, and um, the impact of COVID on uh, on, on those get-togethers will be interesting to, to, to follow coming out of the uh, the vacation to see whether there's another wave of uh, the pandemic. Uh, but I think that relates to the commodity prices. The perception is that, you know, once, uh, once it clearly looks as though the pandemic has crested, uh, this wave of the pandemic has crested in, uh, in China, I think we'll see commodity prices possibly move higher. But, you know, some of this has already been anticipated. I mean, copper's already had a big move. Uh, oil prices have uh, picked up some. Uh, so we're, we're already seeing the markets getting, uh, anticipating these things. So it's not like it hasn't already happened. All right. Very good. Let's get to some listener questions they're pouring in. Christopher asks, and this is for Ed, has the economy ever experienced, at least since 1970, a rolling recession? And if so, how has the stock market responded? Yeah, we had um, we had a rolling recession in uh, in the energy sector in the mid-1980s when the price of oil took, took a dive. Uh, in the mid-1990s, there was a mid-cycle slowdown. Um, economy uh, just 
just uh, surprised everybody by 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 not growing as rapidly as was widely anticipated. Uh, and of course, that's at the stage for uh, a booming economy in the second half of the 1990s. And then not too long ago in 2014, 15, 16, and once again, energy prices took a dive and that uh, slowed down the energy sector and uh, related areas of the of the economy. So it, uh, it has happened before, and um, I think it uh, could happen again now. And uh, generally speaking, the market kind of went sideways during those periods. There was nothing, there was concerns about a recession, which kind of kept the market down, but uh, the data continued to show that it wasn't an outright recession. Okay, that that's good. Thank you. Um, we had a question from Jeff. What do you expect from the ten-year Treasury yield? Where do you think the yield will be a year from now? Well, I, I uh, in in line with uh, my views on uh, last year, um, I I think uh, you know inflation's been coming down. I think the Fed is getting pretty close to the terminal rate. Uh, I think they want to get it up to five five and a quarter percent. Uh, the two-year Treasury note is telling me that. Uh, uh, they may be able to get it. They obviously can get it there simply by doing it. Uh, but uh, the two-year Treasury note is saying it's not going to stay there for very long. That we may actually see that that uh, rates, uh, the Fed, F Fed will bring rates down. I, I think they're going to try to keep it at five, five and a quarter percent. But uh, the ten-year, I think, peaked uh, on October twenty-fourth at four and a quarter percent, um, and uh, it did it uh, pretty much. Uh, in response to uh, the increasing hawkishness of the Fed, particularly uh, Fed Chair Jerome Powell. Uh, and I think that uh, we're probably going to see three and a half percent plus minus 50 basis points. So, you know, three to four uh, percent trading range, uh, pretty wide trading range, obviously. But that, that's kind of the range I see for the market uh, this year, maybe even going into next year. All right. Uh, we have a question about the investment-grade bond outlook from Kenneth. We've talked about treasuries. What's the outlook for investment-grade bonds? Oh, I think it's pretty much the same, uh, uh, but but maybe even better because to the extent that investment-grade bonds and even junk bonds uh, are pricing in some credit risk for a recession, and to the extent that I'm right and that it's more a soft landing than a hard landing, then investment-grade bonds uh, should do very well. Okay, now I can't give you all the questions, so we have a question for Ben. Fab asks, Ben, how do you feel? Do you feel that Microsoft is fairly valued now, given the balance of risks and opportunities? And can the slowdown in the Asia business be a long-term problem? Um, well, I guess to answer the last question of that first, um, I think the the cloud business uh, expectations for it got just so. Um, it's almost overwrought. Um, everyone was expecting that the cloud would just keep growing forever um, and that it was going to provi provide a boost for these companies, uh, Microsoft or Amazon, um, that uh, would just keep going uh, in perpetuity. Um, and we found out that that wasn't right. There's, uh, you know, the, the spending there is susceptible to the economic environment. There's probably more competition uh, for cloud business uh, than uh, many had thought. And so I, I'm not sure that... Uh, um, there's going to be necessarily a, a, a slowdown in demand for cloud, but just that it's going to be a, a, a tougher business than people had originally suspected. Um, that being said, you know, Microsoft, um, you know, it's pulled back quite a bit and it's been sitting in place for a while. And I think in, in some ways that it could probably keep doing that too, just sort of stay uh, 
range bounded. It kind of works through these issues. Um, one things that uh, you know I like to think about is sometimes you can get a what you know people talk about corrections with the stock price dropping, but you can also get a correction in time, where um, you know the stock you know doesn't really do much while the market makes uh, it keeps going up and the and the stock ends up looking cheap because of that. And I think that's kind of something that could happen with Microsoft until they resolve some of these bigger issues they have. That makes sense. We have a question from James who wants to get your thoughts on Nvidia. Um, I find it Nvidia interesting now is because uh, I think a lot of people didn't quite realize how big a part of um, its business was really getting driven by Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining. Um, people were buying up the gaming chips uh, for that, and with the uh, the crash in um, in cryptos, th that really stopped. Um, it just got too expensive to to keep mining, and people weren't buying the the new chips. Um, I think there's actually you know, besides optimism just about the economy and the market, I think there's actually some optimism that uh, things like uh, ChatGPT, which is a pretty, uh, you know, it's a, it, it, it takes a lot of memory to, to make that thing work, um, that the, the more AI um, comes into the world, uh, it's getting used by, by everybody, um, the more uh, fast chips like the kind that NVIDIA uh, makes will be used. Um, and I think that may be what's helping the bounce in the stock, helping to bounce the stock right now. And it could be something that ends up replacing that lost uh, Bitcoin revenue. That's fortuitous, if so. So now we've got some, some big picture questions. I'm going to go back to Ed. And Eric wants to know, how do you think the war in Ukraine is going to affect the markets? I'm sorry, I didn't catch that. Oh, how do you think the war in Ukraine oh. is going to affect the markets? Well, that's, uh, that's, that's a real tough uh, question. Um, I mean, geopolitics is, uh, is always an, uh, an issue that the market uh, struggles with. Uh, in the past, unless it's a real calamity, um, geopolitical crises have turned out to be buying opportunities. Uh, but this is clearly not a kind of a one-shot uh, event. Uh, it's not Brexit, uh, for example, uh, which turned out to be a two-day sell-off in the, in the market. Uh, this, this is a war. It's ugly, and uh, it's hard to see uh, what, what brings it to, to an end. Um, and that raises the potential for uh, a, a spreading of the, of the conflict. So it's, uh, it's something that the market basically um, is paying attention to, but is not uh, doesn't have any real strong um, opinion on, and that's kind of where I'm at. It's uh, it's really hard to, uh, given what we know today, make a conclusion that it's going to have a, a, an impact one way or the other on uh, on earnings or on valuation, um, uh, glo global economic activity. I, th I think to the extent that uh, the Europeans have uh, been able to uh, deal with it and offset the adverse economic consequences uh, by, in fact, finding natural gas sources uh, other than Russia, and the same for other fossil fuels, uh, that's, uh, that, that's a positive. But uh, there's, there's really nothing good about what's happening. There's, it's hard. The, only, the only happy conclusion would be... Uh, an immediate ceasefire and some sort of a peace agreement, but uh, that's that's a stretch for sure. That seems quite remote at the moment. Yep. So speaking of other things lingering out there, Nick asks about the debt ceiling. Everyone on Wall Street is right. talking about that. And 
What do you think about it? And yeah. what do you think about the so-called extraordinary move, extraordinary measures that the Treasury might have to take? Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's an important question. It's one I get asked a, a lot these days. We're all asking ourselves in the investment community, uh, at what point might the market uh, start to discount this uh, as, as a serious negative? Uh, I think the market uh, has learned over the years that uh, politicians in Washington on a regular basis play these games of ch chicken and uh, that they come up right to the deadline and then some sort of deal is worked out. Uh, this time around, may not, uh, may, that may not be the case for all we know. And if, uh, you know, if we get into the early summer, which is the point at which uh, it's anticipated that the government really and truly will run out of the ability to, uh, you know, uh, come up with money to, to, to do its, uh, its, its what it needs to do, uh, then at that point, um, if there's no deal, I think you'll have a really terrible sell-off in the stock market and in the bond market that'll last a couple of days, maybe a week. And I think the politicians will get the message loud and clear and there'll be a deal. So that's the way I see it playing out. Well, let's hope it doesn't get to that. Yeah, I, I hope it doesn't get to that. Uh, on the other hand, you know, these, these things do uh, create uh, buying opportunities and maybe that's what, what that'll uh, at some point uh, create for anybody with some cash. So speaking of buying opportunities, I'm gonna wrap up the questions by bundling a bunch together. What to you are some of the most attractive sectors and stocks out there for this year? Well, I, I, I think you got to go where the money's going. And uh, there's certainly a lot of money going into infrastructure spending by the government. There's uh, money going into building uh, semiconductor uh, facilities. And um, there's a lot of uh, reasons why companies are going to uh, do what they can to uh, onshore their um, uh, their supply chains. Uh, you know, it turns out that uh, labor shortages are not just occurring in the United States, they're occurring uh, around the world, with the exception of India and Africa, uh, which, by the way, are interesting places to think about for global investors. Uh, but for the here and now in the United States, uh, I think industrials uh, make a, a great deal of sense uh, as the beneficiaries of where that money is going to be spent. Uh, but I also uh, still like energy uh, uh, on any uh, correction or sell-off. I think uh, energy remains a, a good place to invest. Uh, there's still a lot of uh, political and other pressures to uh, cut back on the production of uh, fossil fuels. And meanwhile, as we've seen in Europe, it's uh, the transition from fossil to, uh, to clean fuels uh, isn't as smooth and, uh, and may take longer. So I think uh, energy prices, generally speaking, are going to hold up. And so energy makes uh, sense. And I like the financials. Uh, they are in much better shape than they've ever been. And uh, they're well capitalized. Their loans are going up for all the concerns about the recession. Uh, they're doing well. And so I, I would go there. I think investment banking will make a comeback. And some of the financials have been hit hard because uh, of the dearth of deals. But deal making will come back and uh, they'll do fine. It always does. Ed, I'm sorry we have to end it here today. Ben, thank you both. Thank I you. really appreciate it. Great call. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in today. Thanks for your great questions. Tomorrow on Barron's Live, Reshma Kapadia, the associate editor at Barron's, will speak with Ann Gallo, healthcare portfolio manager for Wellington Management. 
they will talk, the conversation will be a continuation of a Barron's level up conversation on investing in women's health. And they will talk about recent innovations in healthcare and where to invest. Anne is a veteran healthcare investor and a member of our 2022 healthcare roundtable. Should be an interesting call. Thanks again, Ben and Ed, and thank you again to our listeners. Stay well, everyone, and have a good day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.